episode 14 already uh and we've got a special guest again um hopefully he's uh as interesting as seamus and karen um i have my doubts but we'll find out um so this brought this uh podcast matt is brought to you by the endurance training hub that is my new virtual coaching platform find out more at uh, www.pacoaching.tv everything you could want for training for endurance in one place matt you checked it out yesterday what did you think yeah it was pretty good like everything's there and i'm like oh i might have to steal some of this information for my (laughs) own site yeah um cool but it's pretty exciting to have our first sponsored episode yeah that's that's pretty exciting we're 14 deep like we've been doing this for a long time yeah, I mean, so, if we're gonna if we're gonna make bank, we've got to get those sponsors. So, might as yeah. well sponsor ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. What's been going on, William? Uh another marathon. Another weekend. Another marathon. Another uh, week. Another marathon. As you yeah, it uh, it didn't go so well, you know. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> it. Uh, it was definitely um, challenging, and I wouldn't recommend two and two weeks, but. Uh, I want to see how how it'd go, and um, yeah, the the roller coaster of endurance sport was in full effect for that race. It was like, I uh, actually Sam put up a good post uh, uh, about his experience of the World Cup cross country, but it's like you get started, and I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. Like I could, I think I could still PB here, and then it was like, oh no, nah. oh no way, this is this is not going to go well, and then it was like actually actually i could be on here this is all right this is this is good and then um and then it was like the reality set in that i'd run a marathon two weeks ago and then it was just an absolute struggle yeah okay how'd your legs feel then yeah oh, just so heavy so dead oh, yeah. One um, of those days yeah so i mean I, I still like again it wasn't a horrible horrible event like i did 250 um for fifth place so you know hometown okay. so was- you're that's pretty cool. That's good. You're on the American podium, so we'll we'll chalk that up as a win, pretty much. That's yeah, I think I, I actually I think I got an age group podium. Um, oh, cool. As well, yeah. Very so cool. I think that okay. um, just just scraped into that thirty to thirty nine. Oh right, you're in the old guys now. Yeah, yeah, just just Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and cool. with you, you'll be um almost exiting that age group. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Give me another ten years, uh, and I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Where are you? I am in Nazareth, Pennsylvania in the United States. I just flew in. I got here on Sunday. And as you know, that's not a very fun flight. But I'm here and I've been riding every day, road in the morning, mountain bike in the afternoon, feeling tired already. And it's awesome. Just loving my old roads. And um, yeah, it's just been super fun and great weather. Love it. All right, that sounds pretty cool. It's been good weather here um, in New Zealand as well. Just FYI. Yeah. I don't it believe has. you. It's it winter. Has. That's it why has. I left. That's why I left for, for this period. So. All right. And so why are you over there? Yeah, so I brought one of my athletes that I coach, Caleb, and we're going to go do some Junior World Cups and then some local races. And he's just going to do some training ahead of uh, – the world champs that are in August. And snowshoe. No, the world champs will be in Mont Saint Anne in Canada. Um, oh, what? I thought. Yeah. I thought they were no, snowshoe. So, 
uh, snowshoes the last World Cup this year. Ah, right. Yep. So we'll go up and we'll do those races in Canada. It's about an eight-hour drive. We'll stay up there for about 10 days. Uh, he'll get in a couple of races on the same kind of terrain that the world champs will be in. And it'll be good to like get used to the different terrain, the weather, because it's super hot and humid. And um, yeah, just a, another chance to get some UCI points. Cool. And so more UCI points and you get a better starting position, as we talked about in our cross-country episode. And um, yeah, it would just be a fun trip. Yeah. Now... Um... That's pretty much going to lead us straight into our, our guest talking about those starting positions in cross country um, and mountain biking. Welcome, Sam Shaw, the coolest kid on two wheels from Rotorua, New Zealand. How are you, Sam? Where are you? Hey, guys. Uh, good to be here. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Uh, just in a fried chicken shelfin uh, if you're a Kiwi or fried shelfin if you're from Germany. I think they um, call it Friedrichshafen. Nah, fried, fried chicken shelfen. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. The land of Eurobike. Uh, why are you there? Uh, good, uh, good mates, actually, I made kind of in Eurobike last year. <clears throat> He's just a local, and he kind of invited us over, but never went. And now it's a year later, and um, just crashing at his house for a couple of days before cruising up to Czech Republic. Cool. Um, so first off, a lot of people um, won't know who you are. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's safe to say. I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people know Sam Shaw. Okay. Like if the, you the if you ride bikes in New Zealand, you know Sam Shaw for sure. But I will also no, say, no. I will also say if you ride bikes in the eastern USA, uh, you know Sam mm. Shaw. Yeah, from uh, the two races. Yep, I, I know all uh, Mets mates. Yeah, yeah so you leave quite an impression like, wherever you go. The moderate, the moderately all right guy on two wheels sometimes. Oh, he, he's going to do that thing where he's really modest. And, you know, since I've been in America for like four days, I've realized quite quickly that, you know, that doesn't happen over here, right? So what we're going to try and do is over this next, uh, you know, five hours, is get Sam Shaw to like really open up about himself and like basically tell us why he's so good, <laughs> right? And how he can be so cool while being so good. Okay, um, so I think it's gonna take some grinding to like really get him to open up though. So first off, we'll um, if I was gonna introduce Sam Shaw, I guess I'd say, well, he's an incredible mountain biker um, on pretty much most forms of mountain biking. He's just raced uh, the first race of the World Cup Series, so the pinnacle of cross-country mountain biking, while also competing in the pinnacle of enduro mountain bike riding. Um, he hails from Rotorua, New Zealand, uh, has lived with both Matt and I while he was studying his, for his degree, which he passed. <laughs> and uh, and has Boom. raced um, on the World Cup circuit previously before getting burnt out, and now I think has a lot more casual approach to training and racing. Um, Can I Matt, add to that? Yeah, yeah. You, how yeah. would you no, introduce no, no, Sam? Um, so I would introduce. I would also add that he did beat you in a running race at one time. <laughs> oh, I did too. Um, so <laughs> we won't we won't forget about that. He did so have nearly. a broken arm as well. Um, so and he has been out. 
on the town in Wellington. We had to pick him up from the side yeah. of the road. Yeah, a, a bad start to a good friendship, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best start. But I will also yeah. add that Sam Shaw has been struck by lightning not once but twice, and yeah, I know at least time. one is is real because I was there. Yeah, well, you should have been at the second one. I mean, it was good. It was probably <laughs> like it was louder than the first one. Um, but it's probably because, you know, I was sitting in a place where it could echo echo better, but it's, uh, yeah, it's still just as scary as if I couldn't run anywhere this time. So I was I was already in a safe place. <laughs> Were you in a cave by chance? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in my house. <laughs> the house got struck by lightning, not me. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. That's crazy. No one's going to yeah. believe these stories, so we won't get no, into them. They, but I will say that they are true. Them. I will say they had to believe me for the house one because all the electricity and all the circuits were destroyed. Oh boy, mm. that sounds a bit crazy. So uh, the other one, I, I don't really believe you for the first one, but uh, the second one happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll save those stories for another day, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's a good introduction of Sam Shaw. Oh. All right, so Sam. What are your plans for this year? Wait, can we have Sam introduce himself? Oh, yeah. Like, go. Uh, what we think about know, Sam. I don't know about self-introductions, though. <laughs> you got it, dude. How would you describe you, yourself? I feel like you summed it up pretty well. Um, uh, my name's Sam. I'm from Rotorua. Uh, I really like to ride mountain bikes, so... Uh, that's why I like to ride every discipline because it's pretty fun just getting amongst everything. And uh, I like to drink uh, craft beer um, and and have a moustache. And a mullet. Yeah, and a mullet. I should probably should I bring it out for the interview? Uh, most people <laughs> are going to be listening to this uh, just via audio so they can't... Um... So that means you have to describe the mullet. I'd say it's, um, um, you know, half a meter and luscious, if, if I, I describe if, it. Who's that? Uh, if I permed my hair properly, it'll look like Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, or accurate, it's more looking accurate. like Joe Dirt at the moment. Yeah, I really want some sideburns, so it'll be like a straight but Joe Dirt styles. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Sam, <clears throat> yeah. why don't you tell us how you got your start on two wheels? Like, take us yeah. way back to when you were born in 1992. Was it 92? Yeah, man. Okay. Take us back to 92 and tell us what was going down. Uh, well, uh, I was like zero back then, and um, I wasn't up to much. I was just like drinking milk, uh, hangovers from all the milk. <laughs> I'd sleep most of the time, and... Uh, Every now and then I'd be upset. Nah, anyway. Not much has changed. Forward. Nah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty similar. Anyway, um, probably fast forward to like eight would have been probably when I had my first kind of riding experience. Um, well, we were, mum and dad were just starting a business, so me and my sister shared everything. So I was always wearing girls' clothes, which was... <laughs> which is pretty mean in my opinion. And I got mum, mum and dad's clothes every now and then. And uh, so I got my sister's bikes as well. And um, I think the first good memory I have of biking was 
no, nah, not really. I still enjoy my sleep on the shuttle. Um, you know, not there's so many people now, but if you ever get on like a cheerlift by yourself, it's quite nice just to just to chill out. Yeah, I'm constantly like looking down and like thinking, okay, if I had to jump, where would I jump? You know, if you like got stuck, like, okay, well, yeah. actually, if we get stuck right now, I'm not going to make it. But if we get stuck here, I'm going to make it. So it's stop. Uh, <laughs> but usually we're pretty safe. No uh, sleeping feel- for me, though. <laughs> Maybe that's like an American way of saying it on the chair. I don't know. Well, yeah, Kiwis well, we- would definitely fall asleep. Yeah. There and then go. when I'm overseas, like when I was on the chairlift, like in um, the States, I'm just like, is that a beer? Is that a beer? Yeah, this is true. Like just, I was just constantly looking for beers. I'd still, I'd beers. still sleep on those beers. ones. Beers? Beers. 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 Yeah. Beers. 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 Um, like beer foot. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, gotcha. I do sleep on the ones in Canada too, but then, you know, every now and then you spend like one uplift looking and you'll see like three beers. So I guess you miss a bit, but yeah, so good. yeah, true. Okay, so we're talking. So when you're 14, what year was that? When you had your first like kind of good race, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, this could be a thing. Oh, like 12 years ago. What year were we? We were in 2019. Uh, I shouldn't have said that because now I'm going to bear me. Like 2007. Six or seven, yeah. Yeah, 2006. It was... Actually, that that was important. 2006 was uh, UCI Mountain Bike World Cup in Rotorua. That was the world um, champs, wasn't it, in 2006? Oh, yeah, world champs. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't watch any of the cross-country racing, uh, but I watched every single downhill race. <laughs> uh, even got Sam Hill's signature. Um, back then, like Mongoose had a team too. I don't know. <laughs> Those Mongoose yeah. bikes were so cool man they were pretty cool yeah, yeah. i really wanted I, yeah i had uh one stage i had a mongoose black diamond triple downhill bike oh wow which it, it seemed real sick but it was, hor- it was a horrible bike um <laughs> like the forks if you ever did a big jump the forks just blew up every time like 100 <laughs> percent fail rate um so like i just I'd have the option at the top of the shuttle, be like, I'll hit the jump and break my forks, or I'll just go around it. But I pretty much just hit it every time and never had my forks. Uh, anyway, so, so we had the world champ. Hey, yeah, you go. Yeah, will take us no. out beyond the world champs because it sounds to me like it was only a few years after that where like you got really good. But world champs right now. I got I got Sam Hill's signature, which is me. Yeah, anyway, I still got that. Still got that. And I can't remember who's derived from Mongoose, but I got his signature too, along with Steve Pate. Was it maybe anyway. Eric Carter? Yeah, it was. I went riding with him. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, uh, and I dislocated my shoulder because I sent a big jump that I'd never hit before. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was cool. He was like. Yo, fist bumps for like sending it. Anyway, <clears throat> um, hmm, 14. Yeah, maybe six, 16. I was starting for two years later after that. Then I decided that downhill was really boring because you had to wait uh, in the shuttle line for a really long time. 
but you could still send all the tracks on your cross-country bike anyway you know because we grew up just doing downhill on hardtails so it's pretty much the same thing and um and so i was like well cross-country is mean because you know you feel good for being fit all the time and you can still apart from racing you can still go do all the downhill tracks and still have a mean time and you don't have to wait for any shuttles ever um and then yeah when i was 16 i started doing this the full series the full national series in new zealand and um there was this guy jeffrey mcdowell who was like the fastest at the time and he'd always beat me by like two or three minutes without a doubt and then one race i uh i gave him a race and i beat him and then that was pretty much this you know that classic like spark like oh yeah i could do this um if i get everything right then it's like even more fun to to like have a good race with your opponent so that kind of set it off then didn't yeah. it pretty much um and then there, that that just led into finding people to race like i was never consistently the best or i'd have like uh little little glimpses of hope where i would i think my first ever elite race in new zealand i won the national series against mikey northcott um which i don't think anyone was expecting i wasn't expecting either and then I, I would just get on the podium but never never actually win one again so you won um, the elite another, men's race yeah how old were yeah, you my first one ever when I, I was like 18. yeah um and then they kind of stopped doing them so new zealand's like not the best place for cross country even though we've got uh and you know anton cooper and sam gaze and then we had really good female talent come through and they always come through and then kind of disappear a little bit but uh like the actual scene itself is is nothing in comparison to europe why do you think that is because they're like uh, when like if you go to any town in new zealand there's gonna like if there's a big enough population there's gonna be some really well-maintained mountain bike trails and there's going to be yeah. like it's going to be full of mountain bikers but why would you why do you think like the race scene maybe isn't maybe what it could be uh i just don't think anyone can be uh bothered <laughs> yeah like, i think it's, it's something to do with our our culture like you know you just get americans are going to be like yeah I was fifth place in the men's over 100 kg 30 to 59 age group um, full suspension category. Woo! And then Kiwi's like, well, if I can't win, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to pay to ride on my home trails to get not yeah. first. That's exactly what everyone says. They're like, <laughs> yeah. well, why, would I, why would I pay to, to not have a fun, you know, like, because a lot of people don't see cross country as fun. So, like, why would I pay to bust my guts for an hour and a half and not even enjoy it? Um, so I think I think that's the main reason. And then there's not we we don't really gloat or anything. Like no one to claim 
that they won a race or anything. So, and, and it's uh, hard, like the pathway isn't there. Like in, and you know, if you qualify for something, Matt, you you know exactly, Coach and Caleb, you've taken him over to the US. Like no one's paying for, he's paying for that. Like the pathway's not there. It's like, oh, cool, you're really good. Um, better save up your money and and pay for yourself to go and race real people in Europe. Yeah, yeah. But we, we we have a really good track team, Will. A really good one. <laughs> yeah, I I can see that. Like I hear that a lot, actually. That that you know the New Zealand track team gets a lot of the funding. So that's track yeah. cycling team. Like my my wife, you, you guys obviously know know her. Like she was for five years a professional female cyclist, um, self funded in Europe on some teams, and. Uh, you know, her advice is like, mm, wouldn't recommend it. You know, like that's 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 what's trickling down to the to the younger kids. Like, oh, don't definitely don't go to Europe. Like, try cut your teeth in America first, and but otherwise, like, yeah. you're not going to make money. So if that's something that of concern, you should get a job. Um, and and yeah, like that's kind of it's so expensive. Yeah. Like accessibility isn't like it is in the states and stuff like we've got to try and import stuff all the way to the bottom of the um you know southern hemisphere yeah i i think that like the thing that really blows my mind is that the talent in new zealand is incredible like there are like it's so deep um that there's so many riders that are really really good downhill cross country enduro um everything and i think in any country like if it's going to be a lot of it's going to be self-supported like getting to you know another continent to race but um it's just cra so crazy that such a small country has so many good mountain bikers um yeah I, why is that i feel i feel like the the volume of good riders comes from the whole the new discipline enduro um you know just because I think that's that's the main reason. Like it's uh, for us, it's what we enjoy doing. So, for a classic Kiwi mountain biker, they're going to enjoy uh, sending downhills, doing some jumps, doing some main braps, or something like that with some mates. Um, you know, the the whole cross country thing doesn't really appeal. Whereas this enduro scenes come along, and uh, you still have to be really fit to race enduro well. Um, and I don't think people realize how fit they are, um, you know, from biking for like four hours a day just because they're having fun. And then they'll look at a cross-country thing and go, mm, nah, like I'd rather just do some laps with the boys or, or the girls, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. you've posted some really good cross-country results this year. Sam. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Thanks, so <laughs> since, since you won't say it, I'll, I'll just say it. You were third at the Elite National Championships in cross-country. Anton Cooper won. So everyone uh -huh. would know Anton Cooper. You know, he's one of the best in the world. Um, you won the North Island cross-country champs. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you were second in the, um, the Taupo... Uh, it's like a oh, marathon. Yeah, a long mountain bike race. 
but you know, I think everyone. And I think you're like, second in the Walker 100 as well. Wait. Uh, mate, mate's a third in that one. Oh, yeah. So I'm still really happy with that. So I think everyone has uh, this perception of Sam Shaw that Sam Shaw doesn't train. Is uh, that is that like <laughs> a bit of like smoke and mirrors kind of thing? No. So this is something I'm quite interested. Uh, this will be a, a good discussion because, like, you know, Matt and I, like, we're both PhD uh, sports scientists, like, and we're all about. Train. like this whole podcast is about how to train more efficiently better use science and like you lived with us yet uh you're the the anti performance advantage <laughs> podcast <laughs> well I he's still, like a performance disadvantage <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll still stick to the like i'd say maybe i'd say i'm a classic kiwi and uh, i just enjoy the mountain biking is set science is just a little bit different wired differently in my brain where I like cross country as well. Um, and yeah, I'd say that the the proper training aspect is definitely missing. Um, but like I was saying, I feel like we all ride enough. Um, we just need like a little a little extra um, what's the word, like right at the end of all your fitness, you just put like the right kind of efforts in just before a race. Um, and I feel like that process just helps you. Maybe it didn't do anything in Alvstart, but uh, I was hoping Alvstart would help me. What's it? There's, there's definitely a name. You guys know this. You do it just before you want to go really fast. Nah, 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 nah. Tapering? The type the type of training now nah, where you like you do all the the long distance stuff and then you do like the right efforts that help you like hone the speed well here it is this might be the sam shaw secret <laughs> this is yeah. unbeknownst to us now nah, you're telling think, us your secret i think my my secret is because i thought about it but because you guys are always talking about it um my one would be training on instinct <laughs> okay so what does that look like I'll for look, you then? Well, so I never, I never start a ride and go, I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, like I have, I have uh, to do a 15 minute warm up and then the 10 minute effort, five minute break, 10 minute effort. You know, at 80 percent and then five minutes. Blah blah. I'll start a ride um, usually after work because I work as well. And then I'll go, oh, I feel uh, tired today. I will just, um, I'll either be tired enough to just go home or <laughs> or just do like an hour spin. And then another day I'll go out and I'll feel like really good. I'll go, oh, okay, well, this is the perfect day to do. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go up a hill as fast as I can and then try to spend it as fast as I can. Like, three to six times or maybe I'll just do it two times and then I'll be completely poked and I'll go, all right, well, probably time to stop now. And then the next time I do it, I'll do more. Um, yeah, pretty much that's that's how it works in my head. Yep. <laughs> that's kind of what I do. Are you riding so every day much, though? Uh, I think that's definitely, I do. But I think that's one of my flaws is that I should take uh, you know a day off 
uh, once a week, probably at least. Um, so people are listening to this and they're like, you know, what? How is he uh, racing at a World Cup level? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I think it goes That's a bit much. deeper than this. I think it goes a bit yeah, deeper. You could probably peel information out of that for sure. Yeah. Because like, why like don't you tell yeah. Like when you were 15 and you started to realize you're fast and when you were 18 and you were winning a national series, were you doing the same kind of training then? Or were you like super focused and like, I'm doing this this day and you had a coach and you're doing massive case. Is that how it was when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when uh, I was 16, I decided, well, with my parents' advice too, that that was old enough to have, I was now old enough to have a coach. Um, and start a proper training program. And I got this guy, Evan McRae, who was like a really good bloke. He had done some top-notch um, endurance racing in New Zealand. And he was just he was just good to talk to. And he like he had a passion for it, um, which I liked. Um, and he just did it for free too, which which was pretty cool. Um, and you know, obviously with his background, he was he was all about the endurance of which was actually pretty good kind of around then, um, as the races were a bit longer. Um and so that's when I started having the proper like I was motivated and had a proper race uh training schedule and I would like do the training uh every time probably you know, like even I trained for like three hours before school some days, um, and then the weekends it was always like a three-hour ride on Saturday and then a six-hour ride on Sunday, which is like for me now is just seems crazy. But so I went through years of that. I think until I was from sixteen until I was about twenty, um, and he taught me uh, a crazy amount of. You know, like actually having a schedule and being dedicated to doing your training. I found like I learned a lot from. Also, it was too much for me as well because uh, I don't just mountain bike. I have a lot of other stuff going on usually, um, and so that kind of like burnt me out. So I was like, maybe I need to change coaches. Um, but always in the back of my head, I had my old my old ways of wanting to do. Like more is better, and then I got this new coach, uh, Annika Smale, when I turned twenty, and she was like the polar opposite of Evan, and she took my training load down to like ten hours uh, of biking. Just to give you an example, like sometimes with Evan, I would do like twenty-four hours in a week of bike time, and then she's like, "No, ten hours is like." Good. Uh, she had a Swiss background. She used to race for the Swiss national team, and and we would focus more on technique, like pedaling technique, um, and cadence. Like she didn't want me to have a power meter. She was all about cadence, and uh, that kind of just opened my eyes uh, to a whole new side of uh, training. And my results just uh, got way better. The less, the less I did, the the faster I got at cross country. 
That's where I first cracked a top 30 in under 23 World Cups. Um, which usually I was like at the back of the race if I was at a World Cup, like I'd race well in New Zealand, but but uh, the World Cups were just another another level up, which was, yeah, I was probably doing too much training for that kind of stuff. Um, and then after Arnica, so I was 21, I still had my old ways of doing too much, so I didn't quite stick to her programme and I got super burnt out. And then I was like, well, maybe uh, uh, the coach life isn't for me because I, I like to stick to the program, even if the program is too much for me at the time. And then uh, ever since 21, I've just been doing my own thing. So like, I'll just really listen to my body and I've got all these like old training, um, you know, all these old effort sessions and stuff. Even Emma uh, O'Connor gave me a good bunch of effort sessions when I was doing a, a um, protein bar test thing for her, uh, which I actually did today. I went out today and did uh, an effort session of like 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off. Anyway, I found that one really good. And so I just have a bunch of efforts in my head and I'll be like, this one seems like a great idea today. Uh, but like, say like last week, um, I, feel, I feel like the races right now are a great example of what I do for, for my training. So like, I raced the, World, uh, the Enduro World Series in Madeira last, yeah, literally like last weekend, like 10 days ago. And... Um, did the normal, like went to after party and all that. So like Monday and Tuesday, I was like, I was completely useless. And I knew I had a World Cup on Sunday after that. Um, but still, I knew I was tired from from the race itself, from the Enduro World Series. And not, from, not staying out know, all maybe, night, getting on the piss. Yeah, and, and staying up really late. And uh, maybe eating a little bit of shellfish, which I'm allergic to, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so I knew, like, if I went out and trained, I would have just, you know, burnt my body out. Like, if I had a training schedule, I would have been like, I have to do this training. Um, and I would have been pooped for ulged up. Um, so I just, I pretty much just slept until Thursday, which the old Sam would have been like, this is way too much stress. Um, there's a World Cup on Sunday. There's no way you can sleep until Thursday and still hope to do <laughs> all right. <laughs> and then Friday came and I went for like my first kind of proper ride, did some efforts to open the lungs, you know, really short ones, like 10 seconds. And then I just did the same again on Saturday because I knew I hadn't done the right prep. For sure, I'd done terrible prep. Um, so I just kept the efforts really short, like 10 seconds, just to make sure that, you know, the lungs were open a little bit at least. And then uh, I did better in the race than I was expecting in Alpstar because <clears throat> it's so steep, it's like not, and there's like no technical areas to catch up to people or for me to take a break like I usually do. Then, um, Pretty much since then, I've been 
like yeah, I saw that as a as an opportunity to do like a full effort session for Novmesto, which was kind of my real goal all along. And then I just had a really good recovery since then. Whereas usually I would feel like I did last weekend. <laughs> I'd feel like useless, but now I just feel like I could race tomorrow. Um, so now this week I'll like really focus on good recovery and uh, really like dedicated sessions to boost my chances. Yeah. yeah. So I'm listening to what you're saying, and um, you know it doesn't maybe sound like proper training, but then if you dig a little <laughs> deeper into what you're actually doing, it's like almost like you're training properly without actually like thinking you're training properly because what what do you do you you ride pretty much every day um, yep. and you don't go hard too often um, mm -hmm. when you go to these enduros you're doing pretty big days so you're doing quite a lot of volume quite a lot of high volume and you know if you have two days of practice and then two days of racing that you don't need to go hard on those two days of practice. And then when you're going hard in the race, it's not for very long. Um, you're, re you're recovering. And when you're doing the really hard stuff, you're not doing a whole lot of other stuff. It sounds actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'd agree with you there. Like, there's, uh, you're definitely right, but I just don't uh, analyze it, really. <laughs> like, I... Maybe at the time, like I was saying with the whole instinct thing, I'd be like, ah, yeah, this is this is good. Like I, I'm doing an eight-minute effort now down this track, and then I'll just chill out on the climb to the next stage. Yeah, but then I guess I just kind of forget about it. <laughs> yeah, so you would have spent quite a few years like training properly, and then um, you just, like you were doing a lot, doing a lot. and. Uh, mm. Like that set you up pretty well to be able to do this like casual kind of uh, not so trainy kind of training thing, and then race a lot and um, have a bit of fun. Yeah, well, I <laughs> if it's not fun, uh, I wouldn't do it. There's no way because I never understand. You know, when people are like, "Oh, that race was so shit," or like I don't enjoy this. I'm like, well, why, why do you do it? Like you could just go and surf at the beach, or I don't know, watch a movie you enjoy, whatever else you like doing. That's actually fun. <clears throat> um, you know, yeah, yeah, pretty much keep it like that. What do you think, Will? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so different. Like I'm not, I'm not like that. Um. I've sort of I've clicked on something and for some reason it doesn't change our screens anymore. I don't know what I did. Um, no, I think did Matt click on it or no? No, I clicked on it. Um, no. Anyway, mm. so for me, yeah, it's like that's because I can if I'm looking at it, <laughs> if I'm trying to analyze it, which I do, like that's just who I am. Um, that it makes sense, like your sort of progression through. You did like way too much, um, you know, under Evan, and then Annika, like you almost did um, 
a very large training cycle of like years of base training which is probably like too much and then you came into like the the um, high intensity training which i find which which is you know worked for you and it works for most people and i find it really annoying and and when they do these research studies and they're like oh hit training you know high intensity interval training um that's just incredible look we compared base training versus high intensity interval training and of course like high intensity interval training works like it, it's going to make you a better athlete especially when you're comparing it to um you know base training but it's like how does that work chronically and that's like over years you know you can't just do high intensity training otherwise you won't get any fitter you'll just be like you'll just plateau or maybe get burnt out but anyway so like you got through that and um and that was awesome and then you got to the point where you're like i don't I think like a lot of what you've gone through is like natural progression of being coached. It's like, oh yeah, you've learned your stuff and you think actually I could probably do it myself and you've gone through that. And um, now I'm just like listening to it being like, you've almost got it, but you just need someone to look over it to go like, um, actually, you know, sometimes it is important to train when you're tired because you need to overreach and, you know, just doing intervals when you feel good, like, you know, that's not sometimes the best time to do them. And all of that kind of stuff but otherwise <laughs> otherwise uh yeah, yeah. like it, it makes it it works for you like i've lived with you i know what kind of character you are um trying to tell you to do something's probably not going to be the best way to get you to do it um well actually i did have another coach uh last year uh adrian armstrong who who pretty much tried to do you know how you're looking at and you're like he just needs he just needs someone to to just like help it just get that a little bit further and i think he he tried really hard um to like because i tell him everything that i do and then he'd kind of like try and tell me what to do <clears throat> except i hadn't been coached for so long this is why because i probably had the opportunity to have old uh amount of like phd help me but, oh, the guy uh, with the PhD in mountain biking and a coaching yeah, that, business. Yeah, that one I hear is oh, yeah. really good. But, the one um, that lived with you. Yeah, got struck one. by lightning with you. <laughs> the guy who coaches the um, five-time American champion. I felt like he would have got really frustrated because the Adrian gave me all this training and I just never did it. I was just like, nah, I don't feel like it. Um, <laughs> so like if, if uh, this PhD guy was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just spend all this time just making you this program and like I've looked at what you've been doing and this would be the best thing to do and then I just send them back this list of things that was nothing that he told me what to do felt like it uh it definitely confused Adrian a lot um but maybe because you do it's good to work with coaches for like years and years because I find you know if you do that you find a really good balance of they know like you'd just find out that I was really annoying, but then you'd find out that I liked doing certain things, especially also. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I would agree with you there. Time, time is yeah. uh, definitely a benefit between a coach and um, athlete. But unfortunately, my sponsorship deal ended. Who was paying for my coach at the time? And yeah, anyway, there's no way I could afford to pay for a coach and try to save up to go overseas again um so now i'm coach coach free again 
this is any made deals out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see if we know anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, definitely. I had, had one recently and I felt like I'd had yeah, enough time away from a coach that I probably needed more than one season to be coached again. You know, you just... It's like uh, turning into an old man where you just have your own ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that's pretty standard, I yeah. think, uh, from my experience. Like, I've dealt with plenty of difficult athletes. And, like, it's not that they're, like, being a pain in the butt. It's, like, they there's things that they're particular about. And, like, they come to me or they, they go to Will and they're already good. And if you try and totally change their life, it's not going to go over well. So that's why like the coach athlete kind of thing needs to be like more of a, a teamwork thing. Yeah. Where the coach sure. is working with the athlete, trying to figure out what's going to work for the athlete. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, yeah, I agree with that. Everyone's, uh, everyone's different for sure. Yeah. Um, and no I think that like, that is a bit of a reservation of, um, of people going to coaches. Like, Oh well, I like to do this, and I know they're they're like this, you know, and so that means I can't I can't do what I want to do anymore. Um, yeah. So they sort of so then they they never they never get um, a coach because they think like or they've had a bad experience and they think that's what everyone's like. Yeah, that's true. Um, I feel feel like in in my case, I'm just uh, very happy doing what i'm doing <laughs> so if we if we get off of um us sort of bantering you about trying to get um trying to like completely disregard our whole um life business um but that's fine uh um what what are your goals now moving forward um so do you have some or no you don't care about goals either <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, goals, goals are definitely, no, nah, I definitely agree with, with you guys because I'm, I know, I'm probably, I know, I'm just being a dick. I've probably stolen information off you guys over years of living with you, which has helped me coach myself uh, somewhat kind of all right. You know, all, all the questions while you're cooking dinner, I'm just like, oh, so how, how do you uh, increase your endurance without doing much endurance? Anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, my go yeah, goals are like what drives you. If you don't have a goal, then um, you know you just turn up to a race, and you probably wouldn't have done any. You wouldn't have a vision of doing anything. You'd just be underprepared, probably. Um, so I had I had a goal for Alpstart for uh, sounds really bad, but for three laps, um, not getting lapped out. So um, the the best way to sort of um, get a background on World Cup cross country, like we did a we did a podcast on it, or episode maybe three or four, um, and uh, but just give us a background like of cross country World Cup racing and how how hard it is to get in there. Yeah, because yeah. you're one of the best in New Zealand, right? And then you go over to Europe. What happens? Yeah, yeah, well, like I was telling, I was, so I was telling my wife, I was like, she's like, oh, 
it doesn't sound that good. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, in, in nationals, you were what three minutes behind Anton with a, fl- and no. you had a flat tire. Um, I was a bit further than that. I, I probably could have been three or four minutes without the flat tire. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I remembered that. from it. Like, you know, and, but he can finish the race and you can't even finish a world cup. Um, yeah. <laughs> yet, like you're not that much behind him. Yeah, um, so I think a lot of people, yeah, I found this out last year. A lot of people don't understand how hard it is to race at a World Cup, especially if you're ranked lowly uh, in the UCI points. So you pretty much, there's uh, usually like a minimum of 120 riders. And then all you've got to pretty much imagine is you all start at the same time and you all go into a single track which is like in the name it's for like one rider at a time (laughs) like single trail and uh you pretty much all come into the single trail and if you're ranked lowly you're at the very back of the field so this is where i start and um and pretty much guys like nino and uh lars foster and anton they're just at the front and they just get a clear, you know, a kind of clear track. And uh, even on like one section of trail, you lose, you know, a minute to two minutes, not even in a whole lap. Like if you had a clear lap without any traffic, you'd probably lose like one to two minutes, or I would. Um, but in the start loop itself, which is 10 minutes for the fast guys or something around there, it take me 16 minutes so straight away i've lost six minutes to the first guy and then on the second lap it's pretty much the same story um i'll probably lose like an extra three minutes not fitness induced um so with my fitness not being as quick as them i'll lose two minutes and then with the traffic as well i'll lose another three minutes and that's five minutes and that's only two laps in and they're already like 10 minutes ahead and uh and then from there there's no traffic and it's just up to me pretty much and i'll still lose like you know two one to two minutes each lap and it pretty much just comes to a really quick lapped out process so it was funny when i because I count the start loop and Albstadt as the lap because it pretty much was, uh, they just missed like one small climb. And so when I got to lap four, I was uh, like, how is this happening? Because I'd lost so much time. I didn't pass anyone in the start loop. I was still at the very back. And uh, I was just really stoked to get to the fifth lap and then obviously lapped out. Um, but it just gave like a, a really good um, bit of hope for next weekend where there's way more passing. Um, yeah, actually, it depends what course you go to as to how well they let you get past everyone. So Albstadt's like one of the worst, uh, for sure. There's not very many places to pass on the single trail. And there's just a whole bunch of road sections which anyone can go fast on the road like it's so hard to pass people there um and then we go to north mesto which is like 
instead of being a single trail, it's like double trail. So there's like two options for the single trail. So you can always have an opportunity to pass people, even in the the first lap or the second lap. <clears throat> I've had um, previous races there where I would start on the back row and in the start loop, I would pretty much be on the second row. And it was, I found it really fair if you, if you played your cards right. Whereas the rest yeah. are uh, bloody hard. <laughs> have you, um, after the weekend World Cup just been, have you been able to move up a couple rows? No. So unfortunately you have to be top 60 in a World Cup to gain any more than three UCI points. So three, three points is like nothing. And anyone past 60 that finishes the race gets these three points. So everyone that's going to know Mesto with me, we will all be in the exact same starting position. Um, and top 60 is like a really big stretch uh, if you start at the back, but the only thing you can do about that is um, compete in other UCI sanctioned races that go from like a category style, like category one, two, and three. Um, which represents how many points that they will give, one being the most important and three being the least. And then there's national champs, which gives you more than a category one. And then, uh, you know, uh, continental championships, which give you the most. And so if you, in kind of like the off season or in between season, if you go to these races and do well, then you'll move up your... Yeah, you'll pretty much just get a better start position at the World Cup. Um, but to do it just racing World Cups is like you have to be one of the, the top dogs. Um, yeah. Cool. So cross country is not the only thing you do, and you might actually see yourself more as an enduro guy. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about those. Yeah, and is anyone else trying to r r race two World Series level mountain bike events? Uh, yes, definitely, um, but uh, not cross country, uh, and you know, not cross country and enduro. But yeah, well, I guess really... like the other thing that makes cross country so incredibly competitive is it's in the Olympics. Yeah. So like uh... every single nation, like it's so incredibly multinational as well. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna bag on downhillers at all. Like they're super, super skilled and everything like that. And like a lot of them train really hard. But I feel like it's more possible to, to not to not train that hard and be really skilled and turn up to a downhill race and do really well. But if you didn't, or you know, you didn't do much exercise and then you turned up to a, a cross-country World Cup, like, you can't even keep up with the last guy, like, the the amount of competition there and, like, the the level of it is crazy. Um, like, like you were saying, I came third at National Champs and, like, I will be at the back of a World Cup um, literally racing these guys, like, the, the last guys are fast. <laughs> which is, is really like, interesting. One of my friends that was in the similar position at the World Cups, he said that he, you know, he was dead last, going as hard as he could. 
He was like, you know, the best guy around. And um, yeah. he looked behind him and there was no one there. And he's going yeah, as like, hard as he possibly could. So that, that's the scary thing about these races, because I did that exact thing last year where I just borrowed um, some guy, um, not some guy, I borrowed Ken Gallagher's um, warm-up bike. So he races downhill and he had a nice cross-country bike I could borrow, which I used on the day to race at the Val de Sol World Cup last year. And uh, pretty much the same thing. I was coming last and I was trying so hard to keep up with second to last. It was just like, I just pulled out, like I never pull out, but I was just like, cuss this. <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. Like this guy in front of me is like the next last person and I can't even keep up. And it, was, it wasn't like I couldn't keep up. Like he was, by the end of the first lap that I was, he was like well gone. Um, <laughs> and like everyone in New Zealand that knew me was just like, what the heck? Like we thought that you were going to be like a top 30. <laughs> I mean, do they think you're not trying? Do they, do they actually think that or what do you think? No, think? I think, I think it was really good that I did that. Um, because then a lot of people were like, wow, uh, the cross country world cups are really hard. <laughs> you know, they were just like, well, if he didn't even want to finish, um, and I think even now, like I came 112th in Albstadt and I think a lot of people would, would expect more. But for me, I'm like super happy with that. Like I, I feel uh, content with that result. Uh, I think yeah, that's, I think um, that's uh, a pretty good result. There were 87 people in the first lap. Yeah. From memory. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of people on one lap. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a lot of fast people racing at one time. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's helping a lot of people uh, back home realize that it's a really intense pace over here. Yeah. Well. So how do you think then your fitness, like obviously you're really, really fit. How do you think that helps you in the Enduros? Because, you know, you need um, to be fit for Enduro. And then when you yeah. go to those races, obviously we all know that you're really, really skilled. Why don't feel, you? Yeah, and Jura's a, another, they're all different games. Um, so fitness for sure like helps because you want to be, you want to be cruising and you want to like feel good the whole day. So Jura's usually you're out for like four hours minimum um, and eight hours maximum in a day on your bike, um, maybe a couple of breaks. And the fitness is like super important there because then towards the end of the day, you still feel fine, you know, like you're still like sick, I'm amped for this last run of the day. Um, and you feel like you did maybe at the start or, you know, whatever, how it doesn't, if it doesn't matter. But, um, and then there's the skill part, um, which I'd say is probably more important than the fitness because, uh, you know, obviously you can go faster and you can save energy while going faster. And I don't lose much energy um, transferring to stages. It's more in the big effort that you do racing down like an eight-minute track, which doesn't sound like much, but I think that's what makes most people really tired. Um, and then 
there's the mental side, which I think is super important, where you're at an Enduro World Series um, with the race uh, and you want to like do better than you've ever done. But really, like this is how a lot of people would think, I think, when they race them. And so they do this track, or I do this too, where you would never usually crash or anything. Um, but I think the pressure gets to you a lot and you just have crash or you try going faster than you'd actually usually ride, which then means that you go slower because you're pedaling in stupid places and you're kind of stiff and just everything like that. So I think enduro is more like three things. You have like good fitness, good technique, and really casual headspace that knows that you're there to race, but not there to ride like an idiot. But then how, um, like, what do you think's holding you back? Like, if anyone's been riding with you, they know your skill level is is just world-class. But you're not, like, where where are you sitting at the moment? Like, I guess your goal is to try get top 30s, right? Top 50s. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely keen to break that top 30 thing because I, I think once you get into that, like, it's kind of like you can just carry on from there and I feel like, in the world where you want to ride as a, you know, you want to be paid to ride, but that's where you need to be. So that's the whole reason, you know, I don't usually like goals like positions, but, um, you know, if you want to be paid to do this this whole gig, then I feel like that's where a lot of people look. Um, for, for me, I'd say uh, stupid decisions <laughs> don't help. Um, Along, along with still working on my headspace, like I'd still race uh, bad uh, because I was nervous. Or say like the last, the last one in Madeira, I turned up to the race on uh, Wednesday at midnight, which gave me a day before we started practice, um, traveling from New Zealand. So yeah. <laughs> So I felt like um, that was a stupid decision, right? Like, obviously, I was going to suffer from jet lag um, and not have a very good lead up to the race, and then I'd still be tired. Well, I was still tired for the race. So the goal for me was to not crash because there's no point in ruining your bike or yourself right at the start. So I was actually really happy because I came 55th there, and I was really happy to, like, be so relaxed, um, plus being so tired at the same time. <laughs> um, and, and a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, just not, not the best race prep. Like I need to work on enduro being fun, but I still want to take it serious. Yeah, one of the things like, especially with, with downhill, that I find so like incredibly um, impressive is like, these guys, like you guys are in the start gate and you've got one chance. Like in Jiro, you've got a couple, you've got a few stages, but like downhill and stuff, it's still like, okay, don't stuff it up. Like in, in like I'm just endurance sport, you know, um, it can be multi-day or, or huge multi-hour or even like shorter stuff, but it's still like, there's no, it's, there's, there's no dire mistakes. Like I'm not going to, trip over and and then 
you know, completely ruined my race. I could get up and keep running. Like if you the shoe could come untied, maybe. Yeah, and like, but I could, I could tie it up, and uh, and I've You'll lost, be, and still, forget, and still win. Like, forget, but, forget your muesli bar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, if you if you crash, you guys are so close together that the guy ahead of you has now thirty second gap, and yeah, and now yeah. the next time you get in the start gate, you're like, shit, I got to make up thirty seconds. Well, and if I don't, I'm gonna lose even more time. I think that's what's because like it is like that in downhill for sure. Um, but like downhill, you just get one run, and these you know you could be the last person in the start gate. It's like you cannot make a mistake. Yeah, but you, you can't think win. about not making mistakes, and that because yeah. that's when mistakes happen. That's I know, why... but I'm just saying like you have all of that pressure to not make a mistake, and you're not allowed thinking about like you have to concentrate on riding smooth, even though the win relies on you going as hard as possible in the most technical terrain and not making a mistake. So I, I feel like uh, experience is like the biggest thing in that, or maybe just, uh, you know, being overly confident because all you, all you think about is like, you yeah, mean like I've done this before, like ridden this track, like, I don't know, 20 times or something. You're like sick. I've done that. Like there's no point in thinking about like the one run. Um, yeah, dude's just like so like Gwyn, the old Americans, just like good example. He just does it so many times, apart from world champs, for some reason he's got like a, a witch's cursed him or something. But um but every time he's just like focused. I think he's he's one of the guys that's just like really confident in himself. He's American. So he, he comes across anyway. And I think he's just so so confident. That uh, you know, it's just like, well, I'm gonna have a sick run. Like I always ride sick, so I'm gonna have a sick run, and uh, probably not gonna crash, you know, because I'm a sick rider. <laughs> I mean, he is a um, sick rider, but so I yeah. think it's probably he's focused probably on the process. Yeah, but because on yeah, controlling well, what he can control. Yeah, for sure, and it's like uh, like Gwyn's another one. Oh, uh, not Gwyn, Minard, sorry. Greg Minard. Yeah, Greg Minard is the one that he seems more like expect, like just going for experience. Like, you know, he's done he's done the track heaps of times and he's comfortable. And like, I, yeah, comfortable is also a big part of it. Like, you're comfortable with where you're at and what you're doing. Even like outside of biking. Like a lot of factors can come in from everywhere. Like if everything in your life is going well, then usually you will just ride really well. Like you can focus on exactly what you're doing. Um, and this and this focusing means that you're shitting your pants and you don't want to crash. <laughs> is that what it's going to take for you to get in that top thirty? Um, I think. For me, I just need to to gain the because I definitely have, you know, experience of racing for uh, for a while. Like I started in Jiro when I was, um, and I've done a lot of single trail riding. So I don't think it's um, to do with that. Um, obviously, you always you could always improve your skill set for sure, but. If you just put a good run together, even if you're, say, not as 
fast as the guy in front, but he's making heaps of mistakes and you just, you know, have a good run. That's pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I've tried thinking about that one uh, a bit. And then I find uh, when you're not thinking about it is when it goes really well. So, yeah. I mean, you're a bike rider. You've done it for years and years, just like you said. Yeah. Right? So you so, just got to do what you always do, and you're going to go your fastest. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, the next one in Canada is Like, I, I won't be turning up stupidly late, and I feel like I'll be quite relaxed. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. whole bunch of good mates. Um, the B-Walkies coming over. That's your Did partner? Ah, you uh, yep. Real name, Brooke Thompson. Um, <laughs> Address. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Get at her on Instagram. At, was it at B-Wookie? Yeah, at B-Wookie. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's got the legit Insta game. Yeah, I'm catching up. Um, but yeah, she's, she's smashing at the, at the Insta game at the moment. So you're going to be in a really good headspace, you think, for those next races and... By the sounds of it, that's what you need to do. Yeah, well, well, I actually had a really good glimpse uh, last year in Petzan. Petzan. Yeah, in Slovenia, Austria. It was in two countries for some reason. You know, in Joe World Series, they're like, let's have it in two countries in one race. Um, and I had mechanicals at that one, which didn't help my chances. But I, in between the mechanicals, I had my best stage uh, results ever. And I was just super happy with everything and confident in my riding, like I was riding like I would if it wasn't a race. And um, Is this by chance the time that you broke your chain mm. and you had your best stage? Mm. Was mm. that last year? When did I? Oh, no, that was at NZ Enduro. Okay. Wasn't it? I dropped my chain. Uh, no, I think no, I can't remember. So long ago. I definitely broke my chain last year, but I just can't remember when it was. I thought when I thought when we talked about it, I thought that was you said it was your best stage ever, and you couldn't even pedal. Oh no 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 no! That was in um in uh, finale. It was hmm. nah. I'm confused now. Too many races. Too many races. But I will say that Sam Shaw did the original test of coasting versus pedaling for my research, yeah, and he actually went faster coasting than when he was yeah, pedaling. Definitely, I definitely still use that, um, and I always do ride better when I don't try and sprint out of every corner, <laughs> unless you know for sure that you're like on a road, you know, because otherwise you just come into the next corner super hot. And there's no flow or anything. Anyway, can't remember. So what's the why in Enduro World Series and World Cups? Like, are you do you have in the back of the mind you want to go to the Olympics or what? What's the the goal oh, there? Cross, cross country. Yeah. Uh, yeah like, I yeah. Cross country is real random. Like I, I actually just really enjoy cross country. So. My goals are all really short term. Like I just look at, I'm just looking at no messed up at the moment and going like I really want a top eighty at that one, which 
just old because I know that top 80 doesn't get lapped out usually. Um, like I don't like the whole number thing. So I mainly just want to ride as fast as I can and have a good time doing it. But not getting lapped out would be sick. And then um, Leger after that would be the next goal. And I did, like my goal there would be to do the same again or, you know, or better if everything came right in like the week leading up to it. Um, like I did originally want to go to world champs for cross country, um, but the the national federation is making it so you have to top thirty in a world cup, um, which sounds like a real negative thing. But I just don't see it happening uh, when I'm not chasing any UCI points. Or you know, I feel like if I was to top thirty from the back of the field. I uh, I should be on a pro team and uh, <laughs> it should be the full-time job because if you can top 30 from the back, you could probably top 10 if you started at the front. Um, so they've made a really, uh, really hard goal if you actually want to go to world champs. Yeah. Yeah, I have a real, real problem with those governing bodies. <laughs> and uh, the... the <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so my my rant is that they're, they're the ticket holders. Like, so you you want to race world champs? You're a good rider. You're doing it all. You're self funding it, but they'll just be like, "Nah, I'm not going to enter you in the race." Yeah, yeah. So like, you can qualify yourself based off of the UCI ranking system, and still they'll be like, "Nah," <laughs> like like at no cost to them whatsoever, and they'll still say, "Not, not this time." Yeah. So I fully understand what you're saying. And like the young, the young Sam was like so gutted when they would just be like, no. But now uh, I guess I've got this attitude where I don't really care about world champs. Like, Yeah, because really... you don't care now. But if you were caring. Yeah, like if, I, yeah, I remember it happened to me and I was like really gutted because um, <clears throat> I was doing well enough. Um, you know, not just I could see this, like everyone else could see that I was doing well enough to go to world champs and actually do all right back in the junior junior category um, and got got the big fat D9. And the guy that I was competing with, who we were like on par, uh, Richard Anderson, uh, went to world champs and came seventh. And we just raced like two weeks before and were like even. And... Uh, we were competing for the last spot of seven of people that we had beaten like the whole the whole series anyway. I don't know how the whole selection process worked there. Um, and he went and did the best out of the Kiwis, which was cool to see. Um, but definitely demotivated me to, you know, race well because you realise that it all came down to someone else selecting people, which is... Uh, Pretty much naturally where Enduro comes in, where no one gets to select anyone. <laughs> you actually just collect points, and as soon as you get a, enough, then you're in. And it's, I find it a really fair system. You know, there's no governing body in New Zealand saying, no, we want medals only. Uh, everyone's just there for a, a way more of a good time. Matt. That's cool. 
That's cool. That's a lot of information from Sam Shaw. I'm glad. I'm glad he he totally opened up. Um. So what was, about what what are you gonna you know people are listening to this um that they're generally wanting some advice from like you're uh, at the at pinnacle of of mountain biking really like you can't go any higher than the series of races you're you've qualified to race in like what are your recommendations for people now most people aren't elite athletes you know they they're just um not just but that they're trying to just compete at their best um day in and day out and i think like you've touched on a lot of that mental aspect of it what are your recommendations for for um for people who are who are challenging their own you know their own limits um and and about how you know how you're happy to finish 112th um hmm. well for people like is it, there was two questions there right? like people trying to uh touch on their own you know yeah, i think that was like 17 ability. questions right there. yeah that was a hard one but yeah, um yeah <laughs> okay thank you I, i'd say uh, for the people wanting to increase, you know, their fitness or abilities, um, usually it just comes, you know, like you have to be motivated and the self-motivation comes from actually wanting to do it, which usually comes from like actually enjoying it, not just like some fake enjoyment, you know, which you see every now and then. Um, but if you legit enjoy it and you, you like watch people race and it gets you excited, then I feel like the motivation comes naturally that you like you want to race these people and you want to do the proper um, steps to get to where you want to be. Like you set a goal and you know the goal is like realistic. Uh, yeah, pretty much all that kind of classic stepping stone stuff that most coaches will will uh, inform you of. And then the being happy with where i'm at um i feel like uh i guess i'm more in touch with my body and i know where i can race um and i guess where you're expecting to race and when you beat your expectations even though you know it's just it's not other people's expectations so i kind of ignore you know obviously other people are expecting like the top 70 or something better um you know where you you set your own expectations and maybe for me it was a little bit low at this one but i just smashed them so it just made me super stoked um and if i make it for a race i'll just be like really stoked <laughs> and then you can only go from there like i've set these little step stepping stones that I feel like are achievable um and a good way to to level myself up for the next one. There you have it from the man himself. Thanks for joining us, Sam. That was actually really awesome. I think uh, people are going to be really interested to hear your story and a bit like a uh, bit more about your approach because you're such a mysterious guy and you do all kinds of mountain biking. And I think this is going to be really, really helpful. I really enjoyed it. We should... um. It's not just mountain biking, like, yeah, he's been me in a running race and done some half marathons and like this guy, we tested him because like, he, he lived with us. So he was a great uh, subject 
for all our um, guinea pig for our research. Like naturally, uh, I don't know if it's naturally or from that masses amounts of endurance training you did as a teenager as one of the highest VO2 max levels um, that we've tested, like on par with the professional athletes, well, you are a professional athlete, but um, you know, like the legitimate um, pro tour cyclists, uh, I, that's, that's the level you're at. So, so just thought I'd add that in there, but um, well, it's, it's, that's, it's good that you did because that's pretty much that when you're like, Oh yeah, that VO2 was real good. I was like, Oh, I should probably, I should probably race again. <laughs> so that was actually one of the things that I was like, oh, yeah, well, I, uh, this is really good, so I should probably try and use it, um, you know, because it would be a waste not to. <laughs> yeah, and, anyway. and like it, it would be, you know, because you have the capability to race World Cup cross-country. Um, and as you said, like just to be able to come last and that is uh, – a really really hard um thing to do well sweet yeah it was a pleasure pleasure being on here it's good good chatting to you boys again um matt we should when we interview people we should uh do three questions and i i, I stole one from um the downtime podcast that i listened to and i'm going to change it a little bit but here's my question matt you can think of two while i'm asking sam this one just on the spot <laughs> Sam, if you had five hundred dollars, what would you spend it on? Uh, five hundred US dollars. Let's just make it generic. Five hundred US dollars. Um, well, like just anything, like yeah. What would you like? I gave you five hundred US dollars and said you have to spend this in the next twenty-four hours. I'm I'm really happy with everything at the moment. Like I'd I'd probably do five hundred dollars worth of grocery shopping for the season. <laughs> Um, like, because I don't, I just got these sick ears headphones the other day, which is usually where my fun money will go. How like, many ah, pairs of headphones do I you need, have? It's just the thing, you know, like, you're like, ah. <laughs> I don't know if you do know, but like, headphones are my, my jam. Anyway, these are probably the last set I'll buy. But um, I really need uh, a set of uh, roof, roof racks for my Ford Fiesta that I bought. Um, so I'd probably go into buying the sickest roof rack set up. Uh, <laughs> sounds real sounds boring, but maybe right. a scooter, like a moped. Matt, oh, no, no, now no, you're no. just trying to sound cool. You're going to nah, spend it on nah, groceries. I got it. I got it. I know exactly what I bought. Uh, one of those hoverboards. <laughs> I buy a hoverboard. <laughs> He's going to buy all those things. <laughs> I wanted the hoverboard so bad last year, but I didn't have 500 US dollars, so... It'd probably be it. I bought a remote control car instead. So. <laughs> Matt, what are your two questions? I don't have any questions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question then. Uh, where'd you get that hat? Because it was sick. Oh, thanks. My brother gave it to me yesterday. So I've been running it ever since. Legit. <laughs> all right guys that will do us for <laughs> for the uh episode 14 of sam shaw the coolest kid on two wheels um all the best for the season sam and uh how can we follow you and um can you thank your sponsors oh yeah uh well if you if you want to take me a follow it's uh at sammy toe jammy uh for the instagram um also head over to ground effect and 
click on the link in their blogs and uh, I do a diary entry after every race for the whatever season I'm in. So either the Kiwi season or the European season, you just keep up to date with what I'm doing. And uh, huge thanks to the support this year from everyone. Um, Transition Bikes and Ground Effect, Wildlands Consultants, uh, Envy. And uh, yeah, cheers. All right, catch you later, guys. Adios.